are you? This is a quality of life issue. Hope in the face of uncertainty. Which side of history will you be on? Hi everyone, and welcome back to Brace for Impact. This is Catherine and Leith, and today we're going to be taking a look back at the past year of what has been the COVID-19 pandemic. One year ago today, March 11th, is when the World Health Organization declared the rapidly spreading outbreak a pandemic, acknowledging that the virus was likely to spread to all countries on the globe. Again, exactly one year ago is also when Northeastern and many other universities canceled in-person classes. At this time, most of us thought we might work from home for a few weeks to quote-unquote flatten the curve of the infection. I can specifically remember asking my macro teacher when we found out we had to go home if we'll be having class in a couple weeks in person, and he laughed and said, I won't see you for the rest of the semester. <laughs> um, but of course, we soon learned that COVID-19 would change so much more about our lives and also, unfortunately, and cause so much for many people. Yeah, it's really crazy looking back and thinking at our perceptions at the time. We really thought this was going to be maybe a few weeks, mm -hmm. month tops. We thought we were going to be back to normal outings and social gatherings by summer. And that really was very much not the case. I remember my parents came to pick me up and my they were both sitting in the car as I was like carrying a refrigerator down from my dorm by myself. And I was like, are you guys going to help? They're like, why are you moving all your stuff? I'm like, because we're not coming back. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And here strange. we are. Yeah. So before we dive in and really break down everything that's happened in this pandemic, what it's exposed about society, the impacts on the environment, the economy, society as a whole, ourselves, mm -hmm. um, let's take it back to the beginning. It was December of 2019 when coronavirus surfaced in China in a seafood and poultry market. And since has spread to nearly every country, upending life and derailing the global economy. And after spreading throughout China, we saw that the virus was going to make its way to other neighboring countries, ultimately the U.S. The World Health Organization declared it a global health emergency and COVID started to be on everyone's radars around, what, January, February? Mm -hmm. And many of us, including myself, never expected us to affect us in this way. Late February, we remember seeing Italy have a major surge in cases, which was Europe's first major outbreak, and then Iran emerged as a second focus point. But by late March, it became very clear that the U.S. was going to be the country hardest hit by the pandemic. And even today, that's very much the case. Yeah, no, definitely. I think when we think of China, we think it's all the way across the world, how anything ever reach us. And something we learned and something we'll definitely touch on throughout the podcast today is how interconnected we all are, mm -hmm. and what it means to be a country in this global world we live in, where anything that happens, even if it is halfway across the globe, will inevitably come and be felt by. Yeah, how globalization makes us vulnerable to yeah, things like this. Absolutely. So just continuing on with the timeline Catherine kind of set up, um, we see by late March, it did become very apparent, not only in major countries, but around the world, that this was something everyone was going to have to weather. Um, and on April 3rd, the CDC recommends that everyone starts wearing cloth or fabric face masks. And again, in terms of talking about things differing from what the normal was, people, whatever side of the political spectrum you lean on, this was definitely a strange thing for them and trying to understand what the benefits of this was and whatnot. Right, I remember at the time I was... 
um, flying back home after mm-hmm. we were supposed to leave Northeastern's campus. And I didn't wear a mask on the flight home, and I saw people who did, and I remember thinking, that's ridiculous, why are they wearing masks? Because at the time, the articles we were reading, the headlines we were seeing were all saying, don't buy masks, save them for medical workers. Mm -hmm. And that narrative quickly changed, as you just said. Yeah, it had to. Definitely had to. But again, so we saw the mask mandates and whatnot, but with these different mandates were reasons for that, and inevitably that is just the rise in cases throughout the world. And not only did it require people to wear masks, but we saw healthcare systems be pushed to their absolute limits. Healthcare workers stretched thin in long hours without breaks. Um, and we're always very appreciative for the work that has continued to be done. And some of the bleak, I don't even want to use the word milestones, but some of the bleak stats along the way is that just two months after this became a worldwide recognized kind of strife, it had killed more than 200,000 people and sickened more than 2.8 million people across the globe. And then April 30th, airlines announced rules requiring face masks. And this really solidified moving away from people being skeptical to these things are being mandated. And with airlines announcing rules for requiring face masks, I know we'll touch more later on what we're gonna think about with the new normal, but I've just been thinking personally about how, like, are we ever gonna not be required to wear face masks on airplanes? Yeah. It's, it's also interesting in terms of, I haven't gotten sick that much this year. Me it's too, really, I haven't had a cold knock really, on wood yeah, since, honestly. like, before COVID. It's really interesting to consider the benefits of masks regardless mm-hmm. if you're going to be trapped in the middle of a global pandemic or not, but especially on a flight, when you're, the air is circulating, you're sitting arm to arm with people you don't know. Exactly. It does raise interesting questions of whether or not these things will continue on. Yeah, it's beneficial for public health, that's for sure. Yeah. Since last summer, we've continued to see a rise in COVID cases across the country and the world, with some countries doing better than others, but the U.S. definitely still having some challenges. (laughs) Today, there have been over 117 million cases and 2.6 million deaths worldwide, and the U.S. has had the most cases of any other country, with over 29 million cases. And more deaths have been announced in the United States than any other country. Yeah, you mentioned how some countries had done better um, throughout this time, and some countries have done worse. The variations between lockdowns and what countries have done and what countries haven't done has really spurred the outcome of those. Mm -hmm. And... It is really interesting to consider different forms of government and whatnot and how they handled it. But not to get into that, but... So clearly, COVID has rapidly spread around the world, posing enormous health, economic, environmental, and social challenges to the entire human population. The outbreak has been severely disrupting the global economy, and almost all nations have been struggling to slow down the transmission of the the disease by testing and treating patients, quarantining those who have been contact traced, restricting large gatherings, and maintaining complete or partial lockdowns. And we've definitely, and I'm sure those listening, have experienced a variation of these things as our life had to be very focused on who we're coming in contact with. I know the first thing I text people outside of my immediate bubble is, when is the last test you've had? Or do you have any symptoms? How wary are you of COVID? Again, just something continuously sitting in the back of our minds throughout the last year, for sure. 
The pandemic has impacted the globe in many different ways, so let's start by taking a look at the economic impacts. COVID-19 has severely demobilized the global economy. In order to restrict further transmission of the disease in the community, many of the affected countries have decided to undergo complete lockdowns, which forced people to work from home wherever possible. And these workplace closures disrupted supply chains and lowered productivity. And many industries have been suffering a lot as a result. Measures were taken to reduce the use of public transport and public spaces, for example, restaurants, shopping centers, and public attractions. And this whole situation has been particularly harmful in hospitality-related sectors and the global travel industry, including airlines and cruise companies, casinos, hotels, which have been facing a reduction in business activity of more than 90%. As a result of all of this, millions have lost jobs. Yeah, and definitely you mentioned um, restaurants and different very small things that we'd consider are normally open, but when the complete social aspect of what it is to live in any country which is going to restaurants going to a bar going to the store in normal hours not having the fear to go to the stores it upends what is supposed to be a normal economy in ways that we've never imagined in ways that we've never seen frankly like we've had the 2008 recession that didn't lead to anybody having to stay inside we've had um the great depression which is second to what is now this as the worst depression and so nothing amounts to the closures that we've seen. So when we say demobilize, we truly mean demobilize in every way what is our normal economy. Right, and to add on to that, layoffs and declines in personal income, and as you said, just heightened uncertainty overall, mm -hmm. have made people spend even less money, which triggers further business closures and even more job losses. So it's just a cycle that perpetuates itself. Looking back in April, just a few weeks after lockdowns were put into place, the pandemic put nearly 10 million Americans out of work, including 6.6 .6 million people who applied for unemployment benefits just in the last week of March. The speed and scale of the job losses was absurd, and unemployment filings just skyrocketed. Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of our economy so negatively being affected by these closures, we see unemployment benefits further tanking what is our money circulation because when we have no jobs for these people, they're relying on stimulus checks and other things, but this is also just branching out and giving people money, which is definitely necessary for this time. Mm -hmm. People deserve it, especially with such limited access to funds and work opportunities, but all this compounds on a continuing negative economic impact. Right, like not only do people need money for food and groceries mm -hmm. or um, just daily things, they also, the economy needs it. Yeah. We need to keep these restaurants in business. We need to keep everything in business. And um, giving these people these unemployment benefits will circulate throughout the economy. Yeah, which of course is controversial. Mm -hmm. That's its own we, topic. Yeah, that, that is definitely a hot topic that we won't try to break down for you. Um, but today. At the, <laughs> today. But at, but at the end of the day, these are just the things that were rolled out to try to mitigate what would be just an utter economic shutdown and no money circulation. And all of this is particularly damaging to vulnerable social groups, including people living in poverty, older people, those with disabilities, young people, indigenous people, ethnic minorities, and so on. Um, people with no home or shelter, like refugees and migrants or displaced people, um, also will suffer disproportionately during the pandemic now and its aftermath. 
And this will occur in several ways, um, including fewer unemployment benefits, but also increased xenophobia. And the social crisis created by the pandemic may also increase inequality, discrimination, and long-term unemployment if it isn't properly addressed. Yeah, and I, I think you just definitely went down to many groups of people and how they'll be affected, but oftentimes we don't think of the number of people and in specific groups that would be affected just yeah. with this economic shutdown, and especially at this level because we have truly never seen it be this vast and this hard-hitting for so many people. Right, the pandemic really shed a light on a lot of the problems in America in terms of inequalities. Yeah, specifically people like indigenous people who already have low access to different sorts of jobs or you mentioned refugees who already don't have access to many things and then increasing shutdowns with railways and food sources because of the economy and because of the shutdowns just leads to them being so much less tempted to than necessary. Right, and tying it back to how the pandemic is disproportionately impacting different communities, this has become really apparent in the healthcare sector. Absolutely. What we see with the healthcare sector and healthcare coverage in general, which is highly contentious for years now, starting off with universal healthcare, what's going to go on, we see a time in American life and around the world where access to different health treatments is dire, mm -hmm. literal life or death. And many people experience not having that coverage. And not only is there a lack of coverage for people, but what happens is that our healthcare system was already the infrastructure of it, the resources that were available, the amount of staff on hand was so underprepared for this pandemic mm -hmm. that once it hit and at the level it did, and with no lockdowns and with different leaders playing it down, we saw our healthcare systems be completely overrun and overwhelmed by the amount of patients. People were hiding bodies because there was just so much death. And it's truly tragic, but it sheds light on how ineffectively this was handled. And of course, you need to take in consideration that it is not only the responsibility of the healthcare workers, but the systems they have in place to work with. It really is a responsibility of the systems, though. You know, healthcare yeah. workers are doing their best on a day-to-day -day basis, but I think the pandemic really showed how far more people died than they needed to because of our weak social and economic systems, because those have predisposed us to poor health to begin with as well, mm -hmm. and then access to health. Yeah, absolutely. And something we see in the American healthcare system is just a sheer inequality of coverage and of treatment. Um, I know a big thing was different cities, New York, for example, the hospitals are so overrun with people. But what a narrative that's often overlooked is that it is not the hospitals in very wealthy Manhattan or the Upper East Side in New York. It is in Queens. It is in Harlem. It is in the areas of Brooklyn where there's minority communities. There are small understaffed hospitals that are unable to take new patients in and that are unable to effectively contact people's families and let them know what is going on, that these people are so underserved at the end of the day, don't get the treatment required. And with the pandemic overwhelming healthcare systems in even the richest areas, doctors have been forced to make the painful decision of who lives and who dies. Yeah, and, and oftentimes the groups that are mainly being affected by this and where doctors have to make that call the most is economically distressed people who can't afford to access healthcare and doctors may not be able to treat them because there's a patient who can, or people in rural communities who just don't have access healthcare facilities 
and when I mentioned different areas of New York, areas that inherently are populated by people of color um, who experience things such as institutional racism, which again leads in inaccess to healthcare facilities and proper treatment. And people with disabilities who already have to be more wary about their exposure in public sites, but then again, are so much more challenged with getting to facilities to get treated. Having just talked about the economic effects of COVID and how these groups that Blades just listed are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, it's important to realize how intertwined things such as an unemployment are with a lack of health insurance. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about just the flaws in our healthcare system and health coverages, oftentimes people are insured through their jobs. And so when the jobs, when you do get unemployed and you do lose your job, you automatically lose that access to healthcare. And unfortunately, the people who end up losing the jobs during this pandemic where people, like Catherine said earlier, the leisure and hospitality industry um, support jobs for mining and oil and gas extraction, travel and transportation jobs, construction jobs, laundry jobs, dry cleaning jobs. So jobs, low paid jobs that require people in usually lower income communities to work them. So automatically, in addition to that steady income they're receiving, they lose that health care and already they lose the health care insurance, the health care insurance. Yeah. And already more susceptible to contracting COVID just because of um, population density or lack of information getting to the communities about how to mitigate what is going on. A disease like this just spotlights the underlying inequalities and extra burdens that black communities have historically had to deal with in this country. We see it in the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on our communities. Just as we see it when a black man goes for a jog and some folks feel like they can stop and question and shoot him if he doesn't submit to their questioning. Injustice like this isn't new. So Barack Obama definitely shed light on what we just talked about in terms of black people and minority communities receiving disproportionate attention to healthcare and to treating COVID-19. He also brings up the Ahmad Barbary shooting. And this is something very important to talk about throughout this past year, just because although COVID has certainly taken up news headlines, one thing that is unavoidable to talk about is the other major headlines of this year. And it was definitely Black Lives Matter and the social movement that really sparked a lot of change that we'll touch upon later in this episode, what has come from it. Um, but just to talk about generally how this aligned with COVID-19 and how it left such an impact. So Ahmad Barbary was killed on February 23rd. Breonna Taylor was killed on March 13th. Um, and then May 25th, George Floyd um, was kneed on and he was also killed. So we see this accumulating number of unlawful deaths to black men and women and we don't see it really spark until George Floyd's death. Right, that's when it really picked up speed. And in some ways, the pandemic helped the Floyd protest become the biggest in history, as well as, you know, everyone's home on their phones all the time because they're not at work. So these stories gained a lot more attention, mm -hmm. even though situations like this have been happening for decades. Yeah, which is, again, disheartening to think about that it literally needed to take people 
have nothing going on to realize how important this is. Right. But again, when we talk about things happening parallel to one another, it is, while it is never fortunate to have anyone die, especially at the hands of law enforcement and so disproportionately through systemic racism, we see this have lasting change for these movements because of the lockdown mandates and people were just so focused on the news and what was happening. It really triggered so many people getting involved. Right, and because of this, the protests happened more frequently and in a broader range of places and with more attendance than any previous Black Lives Matter or anti-police brutality protests ever. And this was because of the accumulated racial disadvantages in almost every aspect of society. And so this made protests explode and the public health crisis that the pandemic caused hit black Americans at disproportionate rates. So media attention helped fuel the protests, but also the pandemic shed a light on existing issues for yeah. all of society to look at. No, absolutely. Whether or not it was a police kneeling on a black man's neck or um, them barging into an innocent black woman's apartment, we were seeing these communities being so underrepresented in terms of getting treatment. And so it's just so much compounding that it allowed for this to gain so much necessary attention as I think we've seen this through the history of racial protests really have a lasting impact and will have a lasting impact. So we've talked about the economic impacts of the pandemic. We've touched on how the pandemic has exposed flaws in our healthcare systems, and we've discussed how the pandemic has exposed institutionalized racism in America. Next, let's talk about how COVID and the pandemic as a whole has impacted the environment. So firstly, we have seen increased waste generation from this pandemic. First example that I think is most obvious, disposable masks and increased use of PPE. It kind of set us back in time. I think we were getting making so much progress with bringing reusable bags and even your own containers to grocery stores mm -hmm. and things like that. But for the sake of reducing the spread of the virus, those easy fixes that we once put in place a few years ago or that was starting to pick up the speed kind of got set back a little bit. Yeah, and we completely recognize the importance of PPE and of masks. Of course. It was just the immediate production of those and the immediate widespread distribution of them. Mm -hmm. And widespread use now. Yeah. That is very necessary. Yeah. But was a setback for the environment. And in such dire times, it is very difficult to take in the environmental implications when the thing on people's mind is saving lives. So although, although it definitely is detrimental to the environment, it is completely and was necessary. It was also necessary for people to be social distancing, so a lot of consumers increased their online shopping activity, which also increased domestic waste. Um, food bought online is packaged way more than food in grocery stores. Mm -hmm. Again, more waste. And then also the pandemic just posed problems for waste collection and recycling um, because, you know, facilities and businesses across all industries yeah. had to be shut down to reduce the spread of the virus. So that included waste management facilities and yeah. recycling facilities. And although there are the implications on the environment from staying at home and different mass productions and equipment productions, we also have to recognize what everyone being at home did for the environment. There were some positives, you're right. Absolutely. 
um, there was a temporary reduction, temporary, mm-hmm. but still a reduction in daily global carbon dioxide emissions um, during forced confinement. And government policies during the pandemic drastically altered patterns of energy de- demand around the world, and this is due to um, reduced transportation and then just changed consumption patterns and less interaction outside of people's homes. Yeah, I think I recall during during lockdown, one of my favorite news articles I read was that from New Delhi, for the first time in years, you can see the Himalayas. Mm. And I think to see that is an example of the benefits of not that many cars on the roads and of factories just at mass production. It is, for the first time, a visual representation of what climate change and what pollution is. And I think it's an incredible way of recognizing that it is also obtainable for us to reach these CO2 emission goals in terms of curbing how many we are using. And we saw it happen through the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders. Definitely. Lastly, but certainly not least, we're going to touch on social impacts of the pandemic. Like, do you think that society has fundamentally changed during this lockdown? I think it definitely has in a lot of ways. And I think it definitely will continue to change because we're still transitioning out of this period thanks to vaccination rollouts. However, I think one thing we can lose sight of is how we're going to hold on so tightly to parts of society we didn't think were as important. So my biggest concern with stay-at-home orders and everyone being pushed to Zoom and everyone being so interconnected over social media is that we were going to expedite how much of a technologically dependent society we were going to become. And for me, someone who really values face-to-face interaction, I was terrified for that. However, after the first lockdown didn't just last two weeks and didn't just last a month, we saw cumulative months of staying at home and not interacting with people. And by month three and four, we saw how much we were missing that connection. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the silver linings in these lockdowns is that we've, we realize how truly much we value human interaction. Definitely. I think that we're pulling the people we value most a little bit closer to ourselves, mm-hmm. for sure. But also... We're pushing them away. I definitely know those times I can stand my family. And that's true. Well, also just like self-reflection, right? Like yeah. who was I surrounding myself with before the pandemic? Absolutely. And who's the person I want to become? Not, you know, we all had different versions of self-reflections. But for me, that definitely was one. Yeah. But more than that, you know, when we're in a lockdown or under social distancing orders, it's impossible to have relationships exactly the way that they were before. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to minimize the risk of contracting COVID and friendships and how we conduct in business or just any activities are all going to be affected by the new rules, even as they continue with vaccine rollouts. At the most basic level, the way that we relate to other people outside our households is going to be so different. Like, Mm -hmm. are we still going to shake hands? Things like that. Yeah. 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 And no, it goes back to like trying to engage with people because right now, getting to gradually see more people is a first step in going back to that normal human interaction. But something like shaking someone's hand is so ingrained into how we greet people, how we connect with people. It'll be interesting to see how this carries out in terms of the normality of getting in close contact with others. And then for us with school and work, both of us are on co-op right now. Mm -hmm. I've heard my coworkers talk about 
how they see the hybrid model, some in person, mm -hmm. some online, being the new model for their daily work life to be the new normal. Wow, that's interesting. I definitely bring it into co-op in different, I guess, sectors that are impacted by this. Um, I know the education sector is certainly feeling the struggle of balancing hybrid and in-person learning. Um, so it would definitely be interesting to see who gets affected by that and who is able to hold on to that hybrid model and who needs to go back into person. And, you know, kids, even teenagers, even college students having to do class online, mm -hmm. you know, you don't get the same social skills, you don't get the same, you know, just getting to sit next to your friends in class and yeah. having like some fun parts of your day during the school day, not yeah. having it be strictly Zoom classes. Not to say that Zoom school isn't fun, but it's not the same. Yeah. I just think everything meshes into one medium, and that is I'm staring at my laptop. Like, there's no differentiation between I'm in classes versus now I'm on FaceTime on my laptop. Everything feels just it's through my laptop, and so it feels the same. I just have my feelings towards my computer are just very negative at this point. And that has mental health impacts too, and that'll mm -hmm. impact different um, groups differently yeah. in the long run, especially. We are going to be looking back at this for so many decades, mm -hmm. especially with young children, right? Absolutely. That's something, again, like considering how kids are interacting nowadays during their formative years of having social skills and developing those and trying to figure out how they fit in social situations. So that's something that'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of younger child development. Yeah, isolation was hard for everyone, but mm -hmm. something I think everyone can relate to is I think we all learn to appreciate those who work in jobs that are essential but aren't necessarily high-paying, like grocery store employees, sanitation workers, nursing home staff, and many others who provide invaluable services to our collective well-being as a society, and we can't take them for granted, and that was very clear yeah. at the beginning of this pandemic. No, absolutely. And going back to, we were the ones on Zoom or on our laptops, they were the only people we were seeing outside of our families. So recognizing that the human interaction we did have were in very, what we consider jobs we might not necessarily look at as having an impact on us, but the smile from the grocery store clerk. Is something that definitely could have gone a ways away um, during the pandemic lockdowns. And hopefully um, what's to come of this will be new considerations for health and safety mm -hmm. and economies and labor markets will take the time to recover and will emerge probably differently than we've seen before. Mm -hmm. But there's potential for new policies and just new mindsets based on what we've seen in the past year. No, absolutely. And Kind of a quote that I thought was interesting seeing is that, I um, can't really recall who said it, but it's one should never let a crisis go to waste. And like you just said, maybe we'll see policies favoring some of the lapses we've seen in our healthcare system or how we treat different people or different work demographics or different communities is how are we going to like focus on this and what are the positives coming out of this experience? And these are problems that affect us all, right? Mm -hmm. And right now there is a huge call for global and collective action for the pandemic, mm -hmm. but also for other issues like climate change. And we're starting to think a lot more deeply about the role of government and institutions and how we play a role in how society will progress. Mm -hmm. 
We completely recognize that so much happened this year and that 30 minutes is by no means enough time to cover all of the events and headlines, but we felt that the points we discussed today are impacts of COVID that we have all experienced or that needed to be highlighted further. We also want to take a moment to recognize the thousands of people who have unfortunately died from COVID-19 and that within the 2.6 million total deaths, these individuals are more than just an accumulating tally, but people's family members and friends that were unfortunately victim to this rampant and continuing disease. We appreciate you all listening and joining us on a reflection of the past year of the pandemic. As always, thank you to our editor, Greg Gold, and our graphic designer, Brandon Fogarty, for helping make this podcast what it is. See you next week on Brace for Impact.